Welcome to this edition of Business Day Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Hajra Maji, the political editor of Business Day. Today in studio, we have Songhezo Zibi. He's the leader of Rise Mzanzi. They're the new kid on the block, and they're hoping to change the face of South African politics. Songhezo Zibi, as well as the team from Rise Mzanzi, joins us today in order for them to explain to us what their prospect of success will be. We know that opposition parties in South Africa have had a hard time getting getting a lot of votes. COPE succeeded with 7% in 2009, and the EFF succeeded with 7% in 2014. Songhezo it's not going to be an easy journey to get there. Absolutely not. It's not going to be an easy journey. It is a hard journey and it is going to be a hard journey, but we, we're up to the task as a team. How are you going to do it? Because brand recognition is important. How many people in the country today know who Raizam Zanzi is? And how are you going to get that brand recognition to get you to perhaps 7% in 2024? Getting people to know Rise Mzanzi is the easy bit because of the digital and other technologies that we, that we have, which make it possible to communicate on a mass basis. We believe what is going to get us over the line in terms of electoral success is the presence and the political approach we have taken in communities across all our target areas, across all nine provinces, uh, that are going to build a new trust in the alternative that is Rise Mzanzi, which includes strategic alliances at a local level right across all of those provinces. Dare I say South Africans are sick and tired of the big political parties in this country. What are you offering that's different? We're offering people an opportunity to themselves change how South Africa looks like in 2024. That is why Rise Mzanzi says 2024 is our 1994. Change how? And that's a message. Change how? A new government, a new approach to politics, a new approach to governing, new ideas, new energy, and just a restoration of hope to South Africans. Other opposition parties haven't succeeded in uh, convincing South Africans who traditionally vote for the ANC or the DA to vote for them. Um, the EFF to some extent and COPE to some extent was successful and so was Bantu Hulomisa's UDM. What are you offering that's different that would convince the traditional ANC voter or perhaps the traditional DA voter to consider not just staying away from the polls, but coming out and putting their X next to your party's logo? The fundamental thing voters do not like is actually the ANC culture of politics. Its own splinters, as well as all the opposition parties, take the ANC's approach to politics with branches, with promises at election time, but hardly any mobilization in between about any of the issues that affect people in their lives or at a community level. Mm. Our approach is different. And the reason we are a movement is because we work with local community and other organizations to mobilize around issues today and not wait for an election. Mm -hmm. That's what builds trust Mm -hmm. uh, among South Africans. And if we are honest to that idea and continue to execute it, we will succeed next year. Do you think the NC can be saved? It cannot be saved. If it could, I and my colleagues probably would be in the ANC today. Do you think um, opposition parties need to unite in order to 
or, or do you think that it's possible for the ANC to lead some sort of government of national unity again? I think what happens after next year's elections will be determined by the choices voters make, mm. because that determines the maths at the end of the at the mm. end of the election. My view is that simply uniting opposition parties does not solve a fundamental problem which is people simply staying away from politics and not wanting to vote. Mm. And I think we've chosen the hard work of presenting a new politics to people and mobilizing them to change the future of the country themselves. What's the most interesting you have to, thing you have to offer in terms of policy? There are two things. Uh, and it's not the most interesting, it's the most important. Mm. The first is that national unity is a big deal for yeah. people, right? Non-racialism. And nobody talks about it anymore. The ANC doesn't, the EFF doesn't, Hemen doesn't talk about it in action essay and the EFF doesn't. And this idea that you can unite South Africans to use their skills and experience and ability to change the future of the country is really appealing to people. That is the first thing. The second thing is you've got to have a compelling vision mm. of the South Africa that we want to see, not just at a national level, but also at a community level. That is why even with the vision of a South Africa that is safe, united, and prosperous, we insist on the solutions being visible at a, at a local level. And that's what you will see in our People's Manifesto, in our approach to politics, and in our policy documents. You have a sterling reputation in the business sector and, and in media. You come from, from Business Day. Um, how do we get this country from a 0% economic growth rate to a 5% or better economic growth rate? It is to get the basics right, actually. There's no magic solution to this. I'll mention just three things. The first is that the quality of the decision-making, leadership, ability to manage the entire system of government and combinations of policies is really important. In essence, that is what the ANC is unable to do. Mm -hmm. To give an example, they approve renewable energy generation in the Northern Cape and other areas there is no 400 billion rent investment to transport mm. that electricity to people. Mm. When we talk leadership, it's the ability to understand that A and B are related in order to do, to do the same. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the country's infrastructure and logistics backbone is broken. Mm. The rail system doesn't work. The roads are falling apart. We don't have enough water. Where we have water and, and, and mm. all of these things. The reason it's important to fix that is because that is the physical underpinning of the economy. Mm -hmm. If you can't get that right, forget it. There is nothing that you can do in order to change that, uh, that, that situation. So that's the second thing that you, that you need to do. The third is we need to change the way we think about, about solutions. Just give one example. If we sorted 50% of the municipalities and metros where you've got the highest level of economic activity, that on its own would make a difference. Because you create the jobs, for instance, in fixing the infrastructure, but in fixing the municipalities themselves, because every enterprise is in a municipality. When you have no water and nothing in that municipality, potholes and so on, you simply can't run a business, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So. If we can get some of the basics right and stop thinking about some magic solution that's going to come from somewhere, we will get this right. But that means the politics is the most important thing you need to change. The political heads 
Yeah. Culture of politics. The culture, but, but also, but also, money politics. But also the way people think about uh, solutions, uh, Hajra. Yeah. Uh, it's old. It's outmoded. It doesn't fit with the problems that we have. We're going to get to ESCOM in just a second, but on the issue of public education as well as uh, public health, yes. what would Rizam Zanzi do differently? So let's describe the education outcome so that you, you, you get a sense of the approach. So 48% of all kids that mm. begin school never, ever finish. Mm. They in turn make up 49% of the unemployed mm. who don't have metric, <laughs> right? The rest just have a metric and nothing else. Yeah. That's 90% of the unemployed. So you've got to understand what problem you are solving and yes. then you talk about the education, right? So obviously the first thing we need to do is to make sure that you get a lot more kids getting through metric and acquiring a skill. That's the first thing. The second thing, you've got to make sure those who've got metric actually acquire a skill that can help them to get a job. The third and most important, we lose these kids in education in the first seven years mm. because they undernourished, mm. there's no early childhood development and the quality of the teaching is poor. You solve those three things, your education outcomes are almost infinitely better at the, at the outcome. Again, it's a factor of how you think about the problem because installing teachers to teach kids who are hungry and undernourished and stunted still doesn't solve your problem. Healthy? So public health, we also need to think about public health differently because we have a model that is premised almost entirely on physical delivery of the health service. Mm. That is the first thing. The second thing, we've got an old view of what constitutes public health. So I'll mm. tell you why these two are important. People want to take a delivery of medicine, mm. um, have to go to the hospital. Mm. Okay, why can't we send scooters to deliver chronic <laughs> medication? You, you see yeah. the thing I was saying yeah. about thinking. Modernize. That, in yeah. essence, has reduces almost by half the number mm. of people standing That's... in a queue in a clinic. Mm. And you're able to allocate more minutes per patient mm. in a day, mm. right? And the staff are not overstressed and that kind of mm. thing. I'll make that a, just, yeah. just one example. The second example, Hajra, is drugs a public health or criminal issue? It's a rhetorical both. question. Yeah. It's generally regarded as a criminal justice yeah. issue, right? But it's a public health issue. It is. Does our public health system yeah. cater for what is actually a serious social and mm. socioeconomic and yeah, social stability? True. It does not. Mm. Again, I'm going to keep hammering at this point, change the thinking yeah. <laughs> around solutions and you start getting better outcomes. What would you say to something like a radical proposal, since you are a new party, you can consider different approaches of everyone in the working class and the middle class, including us, sending our kids to public schools and sending, going ourselves to public hospitals. And in that way, us attending these institutions will drive change faster than anything else. Unfortunately, it wouldn't. South Africans are very rebellious. They would just tell the government, no, I ain't doing that, right? Okay. But I'll tell you what, some of the things we can do. If you had to ask me, and this is my personal view, whether we should have a universal basic income or triple the child grant in order to improve nu nutrition at a, at a lower level, yeah. I would go I would go for, for yeah. tripling the child grant as okay. an example. Secondly, do you want to talk about some ubiquitous notion of rural development or do you want to target food security? Okay. Target the problem. Yeah. Target food security. Make sure every kid and every family have three square meals a day. Yeah. Now that's radical. But we're not going to do it because we want to do 30 things at the same time mm. and spend big money on little things. Mm. And I think that, for me, 
constitutes radicalism. Let's talk about the issue of ESCOM as well as Denel and Transnet. Do you think it should be privatized today? What we need to do is to rationalize our portfolio of state-owned uh, companies. We have too many. Yeah. We're not clear what their mandate is. There have been two reviews that have been done, one by President Zuma and then President Ramaphosa has commissioned another one mm -hmm. and, and, and it hasn't worked. The principle that we have is that you need a certain level of state ownership of these kind of companies which provide the economic backbone to support economic activity mm. in the country. That means you need a utility, yeah. a rail utility, you need an electricity utility and so on. Mm -hmm. What really matters though is the mandate that you allocate to mm. those utilities. Mm. Does ESCOM just do generation mm. or ESCOM mostly does distribution? for yeah. instance, right, or transmission, right, distribution happens at municipal level, or does it only do that? That's one type of question you ask. The other question you can ask around Transnet, do you want Transnet to own the railways, to own the cars, to own everything all way through, or yeah. do you want Transnet to own and maintain the railways and all the locomotives and everything else that runs off it is licensed by Transnet to a fixed term. The what government doesn't spend. No, it can be anything. I mean, you can years, say five it, years, it, it really years. depends on how long it takes you to amortize okay. uh, that equipment. It's an accounting problem, yeah. right? It's not a, an ideological problem. Yeah. The point I'm making is you relieve the government of the need to find money, and yeah. that's through borrowing, to invest in all of these the things entities. on its own, right? Yeah. You've chosen that we're going to own the railways. Yeah. You as private operators can operate on our railway and we issue the licenses yeah. and we regulate how you behave on that railway. Mm. Again, Hajra is a thinking, but guess what? Porsche was in parliament. Mm. She moves this to MPs, NC MPs, and they insulted her. Mm. So you need to change the thinking again. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you to put your head on the block as we close. Right. You are a new political party. Rumor on the street is that you are well-funded. <laughs> um, I won't ask you to confirm or deny that. Um, what do you think you're going to get in the 2024 national and provincial election? Are you contesting all provinces? What's the result going to look like from Zanzi Rats? No, no, I need to confirm the first question. We're actually not well-funded. <laughs> that is the that is the sad so thing. That it. is the sad <laughs> thing. It, you know, because, because we are super professional, I think, well, as far as we there's can. Excitement. As, there's excitement. There's <laughs> excitement. And because as far as we can, we try to be professional and maintain decorum. People really do think that we're bigger than we are, and, and we're not. If I had to give you a sense, we are about 10 to 15 percent of the way into what we need for the election we still need the other 85 percent that is why we are raising funds i, I spend think that's a call for money that. guys it's a call for money please <laughs> donate to rise mzansi so that's the first thing but if we manage to secure what we need mm. a, in order to to do this we believe it is possible to mobilize a, uh, around three million people to vote for us next year all right. And I'm saying it that way because we don't know what the turnout is going to be. Well, three million gets you to well above five percent. It gets, gets you us closer, to well above close closer to eight or nine percent potential or more. That's very ambitious. Extremely so, but we it can be done. Mr. Zibi, thank you, Hashem. Good luck. Awesome, thank you.
And that's it for this edition of Business Day Spotlight Podcast. We were chatting to Rise Mzanzi leader, Songezo Zibi. Remember, you can find our latest podcasts, review and subscribe for free on Iona FM, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Player FM and Pocket Cast. You can also find us or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Business Live SA. Business Day Spotlight is a Times Live production and the producer is Demi Buzo. I have been your host, Hajra Maji, from the Business Day. Until next time, bye-bye.